Well, God bless you. Uh, why don't you open up your copy of God's Word and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, glad that you're here in this 1115 service. Anybody glad to be in church today? All right. Amen. We're glad you're here. Also, want to just make welcome our uh, our uh, Michigan Lake, uh, Michigan Street campus, and our Redbug Lake campus here at Curry Fork, and we go crazy for them as I merge the names together. <laughs> Amen. Oh, we're glad that uh, all of you are are with us in this service today, and uh, we're of course part three of this series called Honey, about sweetening our relationships. Uh, and this is a uh, participation sport today. So I'm going to uh, not talk about God, but I'm going to talk for God. And God is going to speak to you. But I want you to lean in from wherever you are. Lean in and hear from God. Plan on receiving from God. Plan on not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word as well. And so if you'll make that commitment, we're going to have a great time as we look into God's word in this series called Honey. And uh, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 5 in just a moment, but Pastor launched this series uh, two weeks ago, and uh, he talked about uh, the fact, he, matter of fact, he posed the question, you see, he said, how many of you refer to your, uh, your spouse as honey? And when he first said the question, uh, I thought about it, I thought, oh, I, don't, I don't think I do, and so I was thinking, I, I'm not going to raise my hand, and then I just started playing through scenarios at, at home in my head, I'm like, actually, I do all the time. Like I, it was just kind of automatic that I, I, I guess I do use that term, and I didn't even really think about it, never really planned on it, um, but uh, also with the word honey, as, as, as we talk about kind of sweetening uh, our relationships, and, and this message will be focused a little bit on marriage, but I, I believe God's going to speak to us about some different uh, areas of our life as well, so whatever stage you're at in life, uh, God's going to speak to you, but I was thinking back to another honey, and I was thinking this, I was remembering back this week to my honeymoon. Do any of the married folk at any of our campuses, do you remember your honeymoon? Wave at me if you remember your honeymoon. Look at the smiles come across all the faces. Amen. I remember my honeymoon. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about it. It was actually right before the honeymoon. The night before we got married, my bachelor party was happening. It was a very wholesome bachelor party, and I'm not even kidding. We were just a bunch of Bible college students, so we played basketball and then went and got pizza. That was as crazy as it got for my bachelor party. But on the way, as we were walking back to the car from grabbing some pizza, we took a little bit of a back alley and we got mugged by two guys at gunpoint. Uh, they beat up all my groomsmen. We were bloody, bruised. They were kicking us, punching us, took all of our money. One of the guys uh, had his wallet in one of his pockets. Then he had his friend's wallet uh, in the other pocket because that guy didn't have pockets in his shorts. And so when the guys came and said, give me your money, he reached in and pulled out the friend's wallet and gave him that. I mean, you know, with friends like that, you don't even need enemies. Uh, I don't know how close they are now, now uh, that fast forward. But uh, so, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, and then uh, we, we, I didn't get hardly any sleep that night because we we're dealing with the police. And then just, I just laid awake that whole night, just anxiety, just kept seeing that, that gun. And we, I, I thought I was going to die. And I thought, well, this is just my luck. I've been, I've been looking forward to getting married and I'm going to die the night before my wedding. And uh, uh, but we all survived, and then uh, we got married and went on the honeymoon. We went to Cancun uh, for our honeymoon, and when we got there, we got on this, uh, this uh, transportation company van that was going to take all the different people to their different uh, hotel properties, and so probably about eight or ten couples got on this van, put everybody's luggage on there, and then 
they, they dr- drove up to different hotel properties and this couple got off and then drove the next and this couple got off, drove the next and this couple. We were actually the last ones to get off uh, the transportation van and we grabbed luggage and went up to our rooms and we're checking everything out. We were on our honeymoon and we go and unzip the suitcase and when we do, we fold it open and realize this is not our stuff in this suitcase. Wouldn't you know that of those eight or 10 couples, somebody had the exact same, somebody got wedding luggage like we did, just exactly the same. Uh, And so they had taken our luggage and now we were left with their luggage. And so I'm calling the thing, the card, it's like Chicago. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're not gonna be home because they're at some random hotel that I have no idea which one. I mean, I wasn't even paying attention to the names of the places we were stopping. So I call that and I do get some, their parents answered. I said, hey, I don't know. They have our luggage, we have theirs, could you help? And so we finally get that straightened out. A couple days then into the honeymoon, as can happen in Mexico, I don't know if I accidentally got some water in my mouth or melted ice or something, but I got so just deathly ill from all directions and we don't need to go into any more detail on that, but this is our honeymoon and I got this going on now. And then right towards the end of the honeymoon, the last day, uh, Jamie comes down with uh, the, you know, a similar sickness. And so finally, after the, the mugging and the luggage and the sickness and the sickness, finally, we sat down and we looked at each other and we said, hey, I think God's trying to tell us something I don't think we should be married. We didn't have that conversation. <laughs> no, because we were on our honeymoon. Of course, we, that, that, that thought never even crossed our minds. And so, no, it was, it, was the, it was the first week and no, it wasn't perfect, but the thought never crossed our mind because we were on the honeymoon. And that term honeymoon uh, actually started, it's an, it's an old English tradition, and what used to happen back in the old days in England is a couple would get married, both families would provide that new married couple with, uh, with a drink, a, a mead, it was like a, uh, it was a, uh, from, um, uh, from honey that would be fermented, and so it was this alcoholic drink. Uh, that they would provide for the married couple and it would be enough to last a month. And so the idea was that you would drink enough and you'd just stay kind of intoxicated for the first month of your marriage and just be happy. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good plan. I'm not saying it's, it's built for success. I'm just telling you that's where the term honeymoon got started was that. And so I just can't imagine what must have happened when they ran out of the, the fermented drink and they looked at each other and they were just like, boy, what happened to you? You know, like... I, um, well, I, I don't think that that's really the key to uh, a honeymoon. I don't think that's the key to happiness. You know, there's a phrase that we say in the wedding ceremonies when we perform them, and we say this all the time. We say, as you hope for happiness in your married life. Well, I, I would hope this, that uh, whether you've been married for one week or you're getting ready to get married or maybe you've been married for a year or for 10 years or 50 years or 60 years or more, I would hope that you are still hoping for happiness in your married life because I believe this, that when we do marriage God, God's way, that we just stay in the honeymoon. Oh, all the married people said amen. Let's just keep the honeymoon going. And that's really what I want to focus on today. I just think this, if we do it God's way, because listen, God is the one who designed marriage. God designed marriage so that you could have companionship, so that you could have this meaningful relationship. God designed marriage, and I just think this, that we should let the one who designed marriage define marriage. We need to quit trying to do it our way and try to figure everything out ourselves. Let's let the one who designed it, let's let him define it. And so Ephesians chapter five, Paul is designing, I'm talking about God's design of marriage. 
And uh, this is probably one of the more extensive uh, collection of verses on the topic of marriage. And so we'll start with verse 25. Ephesians chapter five, if you don't have it there in God's word, it'll be on the screens as well. Paul says this, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. It's, it's, a, it's self-care for husbands to be uh, loving their wives and to have this kind of uh, honeymoon marriage um, as, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body. We're going to go into verse 31, and I want you to refocus in case you tuned out during scripture reading time. We're going to spend really most of our energy today on Verses 31 and on, and it says this, for this reason, remember that, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, within this passage of Scripture, Paul is uh, quoting a verse from Genesis chapter two. Um, this is the verse in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, that Paul ends up quoting. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Paul's not the only one that quoted that verse from Genesis, but also Jesus, uh, he quoted that verse also from Genesis. In, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said it this way, haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female and he said, for this reason, there it is again, Paul and Jesus both add this phrase, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two but one flesh, therefore what God has joined together, let not no one separate. So Paul and Jesus both add the phrase, for this reason. And I want you to think about that. For what reason? I think what's going on here is Paul and Jesus are, as they talk about the union of marriage, they're trying to say to all the married people, all the future married people, they're trying to say this, know your why. For what reason? For, for why are we going to work this hard? Because we're not going to stumble upon a honeymoon marriage by accident. You're not going to just, you know, kind of just go randomly through life, be married 30, 40 years, be like, oh, we, we didn't try, we didn't do anything, but I mean, man, we're, this is sure awesome, this is your happy. No, you're not going to stumble upon it. It's going to take hard work to have a healthy, happy marriage, but it's going to be worth it. And so since it takes hard work, we have to answer the question, why am I doing this? For this reason, this is what marriage is going to look like. And so what's, what's our why? I think one would be this, to honor God. As Christians, why should we work at our marriage? It, because it's pleasing to God. Because God gave us this union called marriage. God, uh, this was God's design. And so we, we, we want to please God through this. And really, the picture of a Christian marriage is really an, uh, an example, an illustration of Christ in the church. And so this is something that we should really be trying to please God in. But secondly, and maybe the reason I want to focus on for this reason, is so that we can be happy. 
so that we can have a, a happy marriage and a happy marriage will lead to a happy, happier life. Happily married people are happier people. And so uh, I believe that God's design for marriage is for us to be happy to kind of stay under that honeymoon the entire length of our marriage. And as you, I hope you hope for happiness in your married life. And so we had the marriage conference last Sunday night. Was anybody in the house at the marriage conference at our campuses? Yeah, uh, wasn't it awesome? It was a great conference, and we are already planning for next year, so uh, make sure when you start hearing about that to get registered. It was so much fun, so, uh, so much great information. But at the conference, um, I, we, we got up at one point and had an opportunity for people to text in any questions they have, and what we said was that I would try to answer as many of the questions as I could uh, in this message today. And so as we go through the message, I will be bringing out a couple of the questions that came in uh, last Sunday night. And the very first one that I want to bring into the message today was a question that came in and it was asking this. It said, what are the top three points for a better marriage? What are the top three points for a better marriage? And uh, really my message is the answer to that question. And this is really what I would have answered if this had just been a, a on the spot uh, a question, but uh, what are the points of a, of a better marriage? I would say this, to leave, to cleave, to love, and to respect. To leave, to cleave, and cleave is a, is a, oh, it's a, it's a King James Version word, so I know some of you are like, oh great, I'm doomed for my marriage because I don't know what cleave is. I know there's a knife called a cleaver. I don't know if that's supposed to be a part of it. No, it's not, all right? Um, We'll get into that, it's a King James term, uh, but we'll get it. Leave, cleave, love, and respect, and those are the keys for a better marriage. So let's look at those. First one we said was leave. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5.31, when he says, for this reason, what's our why? He said, for this reason, for a happy marriage, for a honeymoon marriage, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. He'll leave his father and mother. When we consider marriage, maybe somebody in this room is not yet married, maybe somebody across one of our campuses, you're thinking, you're maybe you're engaged, you're thinking about marriage. As you consider marriage, it means this. It means that you are ready to leave your previous priorities, your previous motivations, your previous dependencies, your old habits, your old pursuits, your old plans, that you're willing to leave all those because that's what it takes when we enter into this uh, relationship called marriage. Here's the thing. You have to leave in order to add commitments to your life. You don't just go and keep adding commitments to your life. It doesn't work. I can't just, well, I'm also going to be committed to this, and I'm also going to be committed to this. I'm also going to be committed. At some point, this new commitment is going to cause something else to be cut from my life. Does that make sense? So like tomorrow, if I decide I'm going to start a new job tomorrow, I'm going to be committed to this new job. I worked here last week, but I'm going to work here next week. This is my new. I can't be committed to my new job until I resign from my previous job. Because guess what? Both of those jobs are gonna want me to show up on Monday morning. So I gotta make a decision. I'm gonna cut this one so I can be committed to that. It's the same and think about it, in the area of like health and fitness. I can't be committed to health and fitness without cutting some stuff. And for some of us where the lights are going on right now, you're like every year, January, I make a New Year's resolution to be more committed to health and fitness. And I realize why. It's because I quit. I just never did cut the, the, the sweets. Out of my, I never did cut the laying around. You know, like, no, that has to be a part of the equation. Uh, I never forget, Jamie and I were uh, on a cruise a couple years back and and I encourage all the married people, and it doesn't have to be a cruise, but at some point, man, get away for a couple days. It's just good to kind of reset and, and recalibrate. 
the honeymoon marriage, and so I encourage you to do that and make a way. It's not about, it's not about money. It's not about, you just, you just got to make it a priority. But anyway, we were, and, and while we were on the cruise, uh, one of the first nights at dinner, we noticed this other couple. They were sitting not too far from us uh, at a table by themselves, and we were at a table by ourselves, and we noticed them. And the reason why we noticed them initially is because they were both bodybuilders. And so, I mean, just massive Muscles on top of muscles and cut and lean and like, I'm talking like, it was like looking in a mirror for us. Like we were like, man, that's must, this is how people feel when they look at us. It was, but they were, I mean, it was, they were specimens. And so we, that was the first thing we noticed. But then I noticed that when they were walking, they went up to the buffet up there. And that buffet had everything. I mean, you name it. I mean, every kind of food from every nation, every kind of, I mean, flavor and whatever. And they came back from the buffet, sat down at the table. They were at their plate. And the only thing they had on their plate was like grass, just like green stuff, leaves and grass and weeds and stuff. And I've been looking at them like, do they not realize they're on a cruise right now? I think I said so. I was like, well, look at this. And I thought, well, maybe it's just the first night. They're getting warmed up to it. Night two, night three, night four, night five. Not one time did they go to any fried foods. Not one time did they go to the dessert bar. Just coming back with grass on their plate every single night. I started getting a little angry with them, actually. <laughs> I said, they're not being good stewards of this investment. They paid for all this food, and they're only eating grass. I was frustrated. I was afraid to say anything to him because I didn't want him to pound me into the ground. <laughs> but you know what it was? It was a commitment. They had made a commitment to a certain fitness uh, regimen and, and a lifestyle. And because of that commitment, it meant they were going to cut some things out of their life. It's the same for all of us. What it, we, we can't be committed to something without there being a cut. It would be the same for our Christianity. When I commit myself to Christ, it means there's going to be some things cut from my life. And some of us, under the sound of my voice right now, our Christian life has not been very fulfilling. And I would, I would present that this might be the reason why. It's because you just added a commitment to Jesus without cutting some of the things from your past. You know, Jesus said it this way. If you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself. You need to cut off who you used to be, some of those old sin, those old thought processes. Cut that. Amen. Because that's what commitment is. And so it is with our marriages. Sometimes we think I'm just gonna add a commitment to my spouse and not cut my old ways of thinking. I'm not gonna cut the ties that I had with my other relationships. And you can look at it however you want. You can look at it like a sacrifice and you can think, oh, well, I, I mean, I used to go out with the fellas on Tuesday nights and now I can't because the old ball and chain's making me stay home. And I used to be able to call my family all the time and complain about him, but now you're telling me, well, now I can't, I got to sacrifice. You can look at it as a sacrifice or you can look at it as an investment that I am investing into the most important earthly relationship I have in my life. That's how we need to look at it. So with a commitment, there's got to be a cut, some things left behind. To be honest, just be honest. Like, what in your relationship, in your marriage, do you maybe need to cut? What relationships or habits or patterns, mindsets, priorities? So I'd say the first point to a honeymoon marriage would be to leave. And then we said the second one was this, to be united with or to cleave together. The, the verse uh, 31 goes on to say, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Everybody say United. Be united to his wife and the two will become 
one flesh. The two become one flesh. And I think this is talking about more than just a uh, sexual relationship, although I think it is a reference to sexual intimacy. But I think it's talking about more than that. Um, and let me just say this to uh, anybody here that might be uh, uh, in a uh, relationship uh, with, with intimacy in it, but you're not married. Maybe you're living with, uh, with someone. Um, certainly the word of God would admonish you. We would admonish you to get married as quickly as possible so that you are under uh, God's design uh, for uh, a relationship like that, the definition of a relationship like that. And we even do this around here. If you're living together and you need to be married, uh, we offer walk-in weddings free of charge for those that are living together because we just want you to make this right as soon as possible. But I don't think that Paul, and, and, and this quote from Genesis as well, I don't think it's only talking about sexual intimacy when it says one flesh. I, this word cleave, that gets, the word that gets translated cleave in the King James Version, it gets translated be united with in the New International Version, New King James Version. It has this thought press, process. It has this uh, uh, meaning to it. It would be uh, to uh, hold fast to. Uh, it would be even the thought of being glued together, being welded together. The, the same word would be used for that, being welded together. Uh, and also to be in strong pursuit. I hope that describes our marriages in this room, that it's like we're welded together, like nothing could separate us. It's like we're glued together and we are in pursuit of one another. Many times before the wedding, we're in pursuit of that person. When we're dating, we're in pursuit of that person. And too often, once the wedding is over, the pursuit sometimes dies off. Let me encourage you to stay in pursuit of one another, stay strongly pursuing, stay connected, stay welded together. That's what this means when it's talking about being united in marriage. I heard about one couple, they were at a, a party and they were just, everybody was standing around talking and somebody brought up that they were going to some marriage counseling and getting some help and one guy spoke up and he said, oh, me and my wife, we, we, would, never, uh, we would never go to marriage counseling. We, we would never need that. Our, our marriage is so strong, we would never need it. And so this person started to kind of press a little bit and said, well, what do you mean? I mean, how's that go? And he goes, well, here's the thing. He said, my wife, when she was in college, she was a communications major. And when I was in college, I was a theater major. And they said, what does that have to do with anything? He, he said, well, she is really good at talking and I'm really good at acting like I'm listening. <laughs> How many know that may not be unity? Just because there's an absence of conflict, an absence of strife, that does not mean unity. There's plenty of married couples that live under the same roof, that might sleep in the same bed, and maybe they don't even fight anymore because they don't have the energy to fight anymore. But that does not mean that they are welded together. It does not mean that they are unified. Unity is more than just the absence of conflict. Unity is actually shared goals, a shared direction, shared pursuit, a shared life. That's the kind of united that Jesus is talking about here. And I don't know, I don't know how much more strong in God's word he could word the, uh, this meaning of what marriage looks like. What could be any stronger than to say that in this divine institution, two people by virtue of this decision have become one flesh. Jesus said, so what God's joined together, let, let no man separate. And one of the questions that came in, actually, actually this question came in multiple times uh, last Sunday night at the conference. It's not something maybe I would have addressed normally, but because it came in multiple times, I felt like uh, it deserves uh, being addressed. And I want you to hear me on this because this is a tough topic to cover. 
But multiple times on Sunday night, the question came in that said this. What does the Bible say about divorce, especially for believers? Or another person said it this way. What does the Bible say about remarriage, especially for believers? So I just want to read what the Word of God says on this topic. I'm going to read it just word for word. And then at the end of that, I'll just give a a short commentary on that. And I want you to stay with me and, 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 and stay tuned in all the way through as we look at this. But Matthew chapter 19, this topic of, of divorce and remarriage comes up in Matthew 19, which is, we, we read a little bit of Matthew 19, but we're gonna read a, a bigger portion of it. The Pharisees come to Jesus, testing him, and they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered them and he said, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So then they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate, which is what we, we read a moment ago. It continues. They said to him, well then why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? Now watch this. So Jesus answers and he said to them, uh, um, he said, Moses, because of their hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. In other words, this was not God's original plan, but because mankind, was, their hearts were hard, this, this was put into place. Um, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, there is a grounds, for, biblically, for a divorce. It would be uh, sexual immorality. But he says, if someone divorces his wife except for that, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her is, who is divorced also commits adultery. His disciples said to him, well, if this is the case with the wife, then it's better not to marry. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it's been given. And then we'll just jump to Romans chapter seven also on this, on this same topic. For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Everybody take a deep breath. All right, now hear me. Hear me. Now I want you to, uh, every campus, lean in right now and hear this. Um, So the Bible has very strong language concerning marriage, and I think it's there to communicate the power of this relationship in our lives. However, there is nothing in any of these passages of scripture that would cause anybody, uh, that would be calling anyone to heap condemnation on themselves. Because here's the thing, no matter what disobedient area of my life that I've ever done, and the Bible's clear, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's, That's the same for all of us. And so in any other area of my life, if I have fallen short of God's perfect will for my life, if I've fallen short of the command of his word, you know what I do? I go to God and I plead for his mercy and I say, God, forgive me and give me a fresh start. And God does, and God does it in this area too. So no one in this uh, in any of these services should, should beat themselves up with condemnation and go, man, I blew it and now I'm, I can never be happy and now I can never do this and I'm on my third marriage. What am I supposed to do now? Listen to me. Whether you're on your first marriage, your fifth marriage, whatever, the marriage you're in is the one that you should try to honor God with. The marriage that you're in is the one that should be a picture of what Christ and the church is. And, uh, and, and there is grace and there's mercy for every area of life, including this one. 
But it is spoken to, to I think, uh, emphasize the importance of, this, of the unity of this relationship. And there's a lot that attacks the unity uh, in a marriage relationship. So we gotta guard against those things. Uh, I, I pulled up just a couple of the most common dividers in a marriage. The first one that comes up is finances. Um, more co- married couples fight and stress about finances more than any other topic. And, uh, and so in, in, a, in a unity, in a, in a marriage, those finances should be, should be uh, together. We should be together in this area. And I think part of that would probably be that our finances are together. I, I don't, I don't, we don't, wouldn't recommend a married couple having his account and her account. And you figure yours out and I'll figure mine out. It just, it just doesn't make biblical sense to go, your, your two people are one flesh, but you still have two, two accounts. Like that part doesn't make sense. But it's not even just about pooling our money together. It's also about coming together in our heart and our mind on what we're doing with this. And it doesn't make any sense for one person in a marriage to have a complete, you know, one way of dealing with it. And we spend everything and we're constantly, and this person over here never wants to spend anything. There's got to be a coming together. There's got to be some communication, which we'll, we'll get to that. Communication is another one that is a, a common, uh, a, a common uh, divider in relationships. And one of the questions that actually came into the conference, I love this question. It came into the conference that's under this area of communication. The question was this. Why do women want men to know what they're thinking? I'm going to assume this one came from a man at the conference. Why do women want me to read their minds? That's the, if I could paraphrase. And my answer would be this. The same reason why men want women to know what they're thinking. And I know what some of the men are thinking, well, I'm not like that. Yeah, yeah, you are. We, we're all the same. So I know there's some men in this room that at night when you're laying in bed with your wife, you're wishing you knew that she knew what you were thinking. I know there's some of that going on, right? So, so we're both guilty of expecting someone else just to kind of read our mind and hit the nonverbal cues and whatever. What would be healthier, what would be happier, what would be more honey, more honeymoon would be just to communicate and talk through things and talk about your needs and, and what's going on in, in a relationship. But confusion, I mean, uh, the confusion that comes from a lack of communication is a real divider in relationships. Uh, also, time can be a divider in relationships, uh, that we don't balance our time well enough, that we're not, uh, we, we get so busy with work and kids and schedules and school and sports and whatever and responsibilities and ministry sometimes can do it and we, we haven't spent any time together as a married couple. And I just encourage you, do what you gotta do. Again, cut away what you gotta cut away so that there can be a commitment to spending time together. And I know sometimes a marriage can get to the point where you're like, I don't even wanna spend time with her. I know you can't go by what you want, by what you feel. You have to go by what you should do. And unforgiveness can be a divider in a relationship. And I just feel like this might be a good season right now for some people that are hearing this message to start over, to forgive and give a clean slate, to consider asking God to help you do that. So it's to leave, it's to cleave. And then we said the last ingredient I kind of put into one, and it would be this, love and respect. Love and respect. Verse 33, it's, it's so funny the way Paul says this. He says, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Verse 33. Now, he starts verse 33 with the word however. It's not just thrown in there. It's in there for a reason. Here's why. Before that, in verses, uh, uh, all the way from verse 25 on, he's going, uh, marriage, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church 
give himself up for her. He says, oh, and, and you know, you love her. And then he goes, and it's a mystery. It's a profound mystery. But I'm actually talking about Christ in the church. But I'm talking about married couples. But I'm also talking about Christ in the church. It's mystical. It's spiritual. And in the midst of all this that Paul's going, oh, it's spiritual. It's mystical. It's feely. It's whatever. He, goes, he ends it with verse 30. He goes, however, husbands, you have to love your wives. And wives, you have to respect your husbands. You know what he's doing there? He's kind of being like, I know it's mystical and it's spiritual and it's all like touchy-feely. He goes, but at some point you have to actually do this. He kind of ends by going, you know what? But don't forget, I know it's spiritual, but husbands, you have to love your wives. And wives, you have to respect your husbands. So let's look at those two things a little bit. Let me speak to the husbands in the room, the future husbands in the room. Your greatest duty in marriage is to love your wife so that she can see and feel your love in her own heart. It's not enough just to say, yes, I love her, but you have to love her in a way that she is thoroughly convinced that you love her. That's a whole different thing. You're responsible not only to love her, but to make sure that she knows it. Men tend to assume that their wives know it and everything's, we, we don't have to tell her over and over again. But we should show, husbands, you should show your wife that you love her uh, by the way that you treat her. You are to assign value to her by encouraging her, by nourishing her, by protecting her, and by cherishing her. This is the kind of love that husbands are called to show their wives. One wife noticed the new neighbors that had moved in down the street, and she said to her husband, and she said, honey, look down there. She said, every time our new neighbor leaves for work, he kisses his wife goodbye. Why don't you do that? And he said, well, honey, I, I couldn't do that. I barely know her. What are you talking about? <laughs> How many know sometimes men just don't get it? It's not enough for you to think you love her, but you've got to love her in a way that she is thoroughly convinced of that love. And let me speak to the wives now. Wives, your greatest duty in the marriage is to respect your husband as the head of the home. You're responsible to stand by your husband to follow his loving leadership, to encourage him to fulfill God's call on his life, to considerately interact with him uh, on the issues of life, to share with him and making wise decisions, to treat him with respect as he struggles to be the man that God has called him to be. Wives, that's your greatest calling. And I can sense it in the room. I can feel it coming from deep within. Some wives in here, you're not saying it out loud, but in your mind it's coming out. I can hear it coming all the way from the other campuses. Uh, that thought, that just that war that's going on in some wives. And here's the thought that I'm hearing in the spirit realm. Some of the wives are thinking, but he doesn't deserve respect. How am I supposed to respect him if he doesn't deserve it? Well, the Bible actually calls us to respect that is without any ties, unconditional respect. If you, if you look at, at 2 Peter and you add that to this equation, in 2 Peter chapter 3 Peter is actually addressing uh, Christian women who are married to unbelieving or disobedient husbands. And he says, your disobedient, unbelieving husband might actually come to Christ just as he sees your chaste and respectful behavior. Wives, you're not called to feel respect for your husband. You're called to show respect to your husband. It's a whole different deal. And it's not about whether somebody deserves it or not. It's about showing proper respect to, uh, the, First Peter chapter two says it this way, show proper respect to everyone, not only to those who are good and considerate, but even those that are harsh. 
what respect really means. And, and I get it that respect is sometimes a moving target and sometimes it may look different for different uh, relationships. And so maybe you go, I, I don't know if I'm respecting my husband or not. Maybe, maybe you could ask. Maybe you could say, honey, like, do you, do, do you think I respect you enough? Are there anything that, is there anything that I'm doing that, that is disrespecting you? Respect would be something like, I accept you for all your weaknesses. I appreciate you for your strengths. I, I affirm you in your dreams. Respect even also has the, the process of looking back. The word respect has to do with looking back. So sometimes it might be as simple as looking back on the last week or the last month and saying, honey, I want to say thank you for this or for that, what you did, what you said. And maybe somebody in this room is thinking, well, I don't know how important respect is to my husband. I mean, I get it, but how important is respect to your husband? One national study asked hundreds of men. They said, here's two scenarios. You have to choose one of them. The first scenario was this. Would you, would you want to be uh, left alone and unloved in the world? Would you choose that, left alone and unloved, or would you choose to, be, to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone? Alone and unloved or inadequate and disrespected. And three out of four men said, I would rather be alone and unloved than be disrespected. 75% of men saying, I'll just not do any, I'll just not be alone. I'll just not have love rather than be disrespected. So maybe this is why Paul emphasizes this at the end of the mystical, spiritual. He says, by the way, husbands, you have to love your wives and wives, you have to respect your husbands. And here's the thing, when a husband feels disrespected, many times it will cause him to act out in ways that will seem unloving to his wife. And when a wife feels unloved, many times it'll cause her to act out in ways that seem disrespectful to her husband. It's this vicious loop that starts to happen. And see, respect is a more of a masculine uh, uh, term. It's more of a, a masculine currency. And so guys kind of operate in that realm of success. And so Paul doesn't tell men to respect their wives because men are already kind of in that respect realm. But maybe love is a little bit more of a, a feminine currency. And so Paul doesn't uh, instruct wives to love their wives. are going to love their husbands, but they may be more challenged to respect their husbands. Husbands might be more challenged to love their wife even though they respect them. And so that's why these instructions are given. We've got to be careful about this loop. Here's a rule that never changes, and I want you to, if you take a notes, write this down. You cannot get what you need by depriving your partner of what they need. You'll never get what you need in your marriage by depriving your partner of their needs in marriage. So as we look at leaving cleaving, loving, and respecting. Let me, let me end with this, and we're gonna, we're gonna pray for everybody and, and hold out to the end of the service because we're gonna do a special prayer time for uh, marriage and future marriages and past marriage. We're gonna pray for that and just see God do a, a great thing. But in my family, I've, my kids were all born pretty close together, and so with, with that comes maybe some weddings bunched up together. So I got uh, two weddings coming up in our, with my kids in the next uh, eight months or so, and probably another one pretty, pretty quick after that. And so with a lot of planning, a lot of all that stuff going, matter of fact, Friday night, I was out dress shopping. Not for me, but for my daughter, we were out there uh, shopping for a wedding dress, and uh, I just kind of came along for fun. And, um, 
but all the plans, right? And just thinking about the wedding, right? And, and people want, they'll, they'll just do whatever they can do to make, they want that wedding to be perfect. They want that event to be perfect. We'll spend what we gotta spend. We'll get involved who we gotta get involved. We'll get the right place and the right spot. And we'll fly where we gotta fly. And we'll, I mean, we'll do what we gotta do so that this event is perfect. And so I'm, I'm in the midst of seeing some of these plans and hopes and dreams and we just want this event to be perfect. And I'm thinking about some of us in this room who maybe that wedding, that event was a long time ago. And maybe now in our marriage relationship, we need to spend, if we would spend some of the energy that we spent on that, trying to make that wedding perfect, if we'd spend that same energy on trying to make our marriage perfect, we might see God actually bring some healing to this thing. And maybe that needs to be our switch. It's not about a perfect wedding, but it's about a perfect honeymoon marriage. That's where our energy needs to go. If we let God, who's the one that designed, if we'll let him define what our marriage looks like, we'll be happy. That's the reason. Yes, it's to honor God, but it's also so that we can be happy. Life's too short to be unhappy. Would you all across all of our campuses, will you bow your heads, close your eyes? And as you do, nobody leaving and nobody looking around, this is an important moment. If you're at one of our campuses, watching somewhere, maybe on a screen, maybe here in this auditorium, and you're not right with God. You need to make a commitment first to Christ. It's, it's the, the other relationships in your life, they'll come into order, but you first have to make a strong, right commitment to Christ, and that means cutting away some of your past, some of your sin that has separated you from God. If you're here today and you're not right with God, before we move on, before we pray for marriages, I want to just pray for you who are not right with God. If you're here in this, uh, this auditorium, if you're at one of our campuses, you need to get right with God. Nobody's looking around. It's between you and me and God, but if that's you, say, just signify, I need to get right with God. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? I'll see it. I want to pray for you as we close this service out. I need to make a commitment to Christ today. I'm not right with God. Who else? Thank you, thank you, thank you. There at Red Bug Lake, anybody, I need to get right with God. At Michigan Street Campus, slip up your hand. Here in this auditorium, in the risers, I need to get right with God today. I need to make, I know God's dealing with my heart. It was a message on marriage, but I know that my relationship with Christ is not right. Anybody else in this place need to get right with God? Slip up your hand right now. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you there in the back. Why don't we do this? All of us stand to our feet. Everybody stand. All of our campuses, would you stand with us? And I said a moment ago that we're going to pray for relationships. And if you are here with your spouse, if you are, would you do me a favor and just reach over and take the hand of your spouse or maybe put your arm around them? And if you're not here and your spouse, if you're here and your spouse is not here, I want you to pray in just a moment for your marriage as well. We're also gonna pray for those that have... Um, maybe walk through a time of separation and divorce and maybe there's some pain and hurt, we're gonna pray that God's healing would come into your life as well. Um, we're gonna pray for those that maybe you're getting ready to, to be married or, or that's, the, that's the plan of you. We're gonna pray for you as well. But come on, all across all of our campuses right now, would you pray with me? And uh, let's pray for our homes. Let's pray for our marriages. Come on, right now, all across all of our campuses. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this gift of 
marriage, God, we thank you for uh, the unity that comes, God. I thank you for the commitment that comes, God. I just pray right now that we would leave behind anything that we need to leave behind, that we would cut away whatever hurt, whatever pain of the past, that we would cut away, uh, God, habits and mindsets that have made marriage difficult. God, help us to make tough decisions. Help us to get the help that we need, God. Help us to go uh, to, uh, to counseling and to get uh, help, God, where we would need it. And I just thank you for that, God. I pray for unity. Oh, God, as the enemy tries to come in and divide, I pray, Jesus, that there would be a standard raised up in these marriages in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for an outpouring of love and respect. Husbands, come on, I want you to pray right now. Say, God, help me to love my wife the way Christ, the way you love the church. God, help me to show her love in ways that she will be thoroughly convinced of it. God, help me to speak encouragement. Help me to protect her. Help me to cherish her. Come on, husbands, pray that. You should be praying for your marriage all the time anyway. Come on, pray for that right now. Wives, come on. Let's pray that we would, God would help us to respect. Uh, God, in Jesus' name, I pray for wives that you would help us Teach us, God, how to respect our husbands. I pray, God, that you would just let there be a, a decision made today. Lord, let there be something welling up within that you would help us to, uh, to be marriages, God, filled with love and respect. And we thank you for that. God, I pray for healing. I pray for uh, hurt to be dealt with. And I pray right now, I speak honeymoon. I speak sweetness, God. I speak honeymoon over homes and over marriages right now in Jesus' name. Oh, God, give us the greatest year of marriage we've ever had. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.